0: Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Thanks to AKG for these awesome headphones and microphones that we're using now on the show. They're working out fantastic. I'd like to welcome Peter Milton Walsh of The Apartments to the show. Peter's life has been full of triumphs and unimaginable tragedy. He survived the drug-fueled 70s Brisbane music scene and moved on to form the band The Apartments. He moved to New York for a fresh start and then relocated to England where he signed a rough trade. After his first couple of EPs and a full length album, he found a coveted spot on the soundtrack to a John Hughes film, Some Kind of Wonderful. But in 1997, Peter's son Riley was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disorder. In 1999, at three years and eight months of age, Riley lost his battle and Peter stepped away from music. Sixteen years later, he was convinced to give music another go, and he's been playing and writing ever since. The band is strong, music is honest, just like the man who wrote it. His new album, In and Out of the Light, saw Peter trying some new techniques with wonderful results. So check out the album wherever you buy music or at theapartments-music.com or on their Facebook page. Follow us at performanceanx. And maybe buy us a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash anxiety. So let's get right into Peter Milton Walsh on Performance Anxiety right here on the Pantheon Podcast Network.
2: Hi, it's uh, Peter Milton Walsh from The Apartments. Uh, We have a new album out, In and Out of the Light. And it's uh, good to be on Performance Anxiety man yeah
0: you didn't screw that up at all so i want to start off with finding out about how you got into music in the first place um and i don't know a whole lot about australia you're actually only the second person from australia i've had on the show the first one i had was um anthony pateras uh does a lot of work with mike patton from faith no more so okay that's about my, my extent of australia is talking okay. to him
2: the exposure yes yeah. exactly okay. sure so sure.
0: uh i want to know a little bit about how you got into music what was your family okay. musical and what were you listening to that really got you excited about music and wanting you to, to play
2: sure sure okay well look you know uh no i don't come from any kind of uh musical family uh you know, my my name is, you know, Peter Milton Walsh. That happens to have been like my father's name. My father was Jack Milton Walsh. He was a truck driver, uh, left school at 12, never read a book in his life. Very different character to me. Oh, his, wow. his father was Thomas um, Milton Walsh, and he was a train driver. And uh, I've had absolutely no interest in any kind of transportation matters <laughs> in, in my life i but I've always been interested in music and, you know, so I'm a child of, uh, the sixties, you know, I yeah. grew up in the sixties and radio was a big deal, uh, to me. And I used to chase songs from, uh, cause there were only three, there were three top 40. I, I grew up in a town called Brisbane, which is in a state called Queensland on the East coast of Australia. Okay. And while it was a northern uh, state, it's the government and the feel of the state was very much like the American South. Uh, Lots of things happened. It just like the feel that you had about living there was in the heat of the night because uh, the town in which I grew up was called Brisbane. That was the capital of the state, but it was a very slow, hot town kind of like a big country town and the, gov- the government was a deeply conservative corrupt uh you know the cops were in with the government um you, you know there was all sorts of politically repressive you know you couldn't have street marches uh you uh, know they uh, they had an electoral college system to elect that government, whereby that government was elected with 30% of the popular vote. But the the things were distributed in such a way that they could still win government. So it was like a really, you know, uh, corrupt environment, political environment, and also very poisonously conservative and punishingly conservative. So, like, as a kid, uh, you know, look, there was... uh, you know, you didn't feel that so much as a kid, but you are sort of growing up in a very isolated kind of place. So I I do think there's a thing about growing up in that territory, which is kind of why some people end up trying to get out of there and they they just look at the world. And, you know, lots lots of my friends at the time, we looked to... I, I looked to New York, I wanted to go to New York, and uh, lots of my friends wanted to move to Europe, you know, either you know, okay. anywhere in Europe, but often uh, um, people would move to England. So like about 77, uh, a band came out of there called the Saints, and essentially the Saints were kind of like the Stooges, and the Saints were signed by, <clears throat> the Saints put together a single which they paid for themselves and then they got pressed themselves and it was released by sire. And then they were signed, um, in sire in the States and in England, they were signed to EMI. So they left town on the record company's ticket, um, and moved to England. And so, you know, for, for a lot of us who were like, you know, 1920 at the time, you know, you're looking at that and you're thinking, that's what I could do. So that it was okay. a very it was like an inspirational moment in the history of the town for people who were into into music. Okay. And also, also what happened at that time was the town kind of opened up like 77, 78. There was this just blossoming of places that bands could play. And prior to that, Prior to that time, you know, clubs were very few and far on the ground, but people just started opening up places where people could play. And for a while, the cops didn't deal with that. The cops were constantly coming along, bashing people up, no closing down venues, stuff like that. But that changed after a while. And then it became sort of like the great wave of, of bands and music that was happening a lot all around the world at that time, that sort of late seventies period, Okay, they
0: couldn't,
2: they couldn't stem the wave. And so, you know, it became, that's how, uh, that's how you do it. And the bands that were playing prior to that were all covers bands and you know, they'd play whatever was on the radio, that sort of thing. And this whole thing was built around this whole new thing that I came out of was built around playing your own songs and you know that people had never heard before so it was a very different kind of thing you know because if you go it's a it's a comforting people for it's a comforting thing for people to hear songs that they know but it's a very exciting thing for people to hear songs that they don't know and that was the that was a you know like the town was just lit uh-huh. with that kind of fire okay then so that's essentially you know, how it came about. But, you know, I, I was writing songs from the time I was about 15, very terrible songs. Um, <laughs> you know, fortunate, fortunately, uh, the technology was just, uh, real to real cassette. So, you know, none of it survived. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot be blackmailed yeah. by my past, at least, at least that part of my past. Right. And, uh, but, but, and you know how that came about was, uh, yeah. As I say, I lived in uh, you know the northern part of the east coast, and I had a cousin who lived in Sydney, which is the biggest city in Australia. And he was yeah. a far more sophisticated guy than I was. He was only a year older than me, but he went to a he was sent to a Catholic school uh, okay. for some reason, and he came up stayed with my parents at one Christmas holiday and he brought along an acoustic guitar okay. and he went to a Catholic Catholic school where they would listen to things like, uh, Peter, Paul and Mary and, and the seekers. So he played to me a Solon, uh, which I think Peter, Paul and Mary had covered, maybe the seekers covered. And he also played to me, Cinnamon, uh which was a Nina Simone uh, version. Oh, oh, yeah. And he played them on the guitar, on the, on the acoustic guitar. And it was just astonishing to me. And I was, I was about 12, I think. And I said, you know, how do you do that? And he just showed me. And so from then on, you know, like I had a job on Saturdays, I worked in a supermarket packing groceries and I saved up my money and got an acoustic guitar. So that's essentially when I started playing. And then, and then yeah so okay. yeah it was that kind of background but yeah no there was a, you know like my parents were born in the 30s the 1930s so they were i think those people born then they were almost like their lives were like out of victorian england or you know they were right. the, they were like 19th century lives they were they weren't like 20th century lives and they seemed to just get get to nineteen or twenty and then start breeding, have children, and then, you know, they're adults. They don't have any kind of teenage years or any wild years. You know, yeah. like when I think back to my twenties, my twenties were just a tornado. <laughs> and and their twenties were they were out, uh, you know, my dad was driving the truck, my mum was at home, they had the children yeah. and they're just living in that kind of closed and closed world with almost no outside influences. Whereas, you know, by the time I was 20, it was like the world was a far more open place for people like me who could, right. if you could live on, you know, Vita Brits and cigarettes, Vita as is a, cereal, okay. um, <laughs> a breakfast cereal, If you could live on Vita Brits and cigarettes, you know, which I could in my 20s, Um, you know, you could go anywhere. (laughs) Man.
0: So so how old were you when you first started gigging and and playing out? And were you doing it solo or did did you start playing with uh, guys? Uh,
2: Look, I I did a couple of things with this girl that I knew at school who was the smartest girl at school. Um, I did, you know, maybe two or three shows with her, both of us playing acoustic guitars. But then I got an electric guitar when I was 17. Oh. I had my first job. I was a postman. I was able to get... Uh, I, in fact, when I bought my guitar, which was a Fender Stratocaster, oh, uh, nice. the, I also bought a Fender Twin from the same guy. Oh. And I got the guitar and the amp for $300. <laughs> you know, it was just like when I... This, you know? <laughs> oh and he was, God. you know, he was one of these people that had played music and then and then he, he, it was like, oh, I leave this behind now and now I become a, you know, like he was probably in his 20s, you know, but he, mm. he, he says, you know, I leave this world behind now and now I become a responsible adult. Yeah. And since I had no intention of becoming a responsible adult, um, <laughs> uh, he, I was able to buy his gear and, uh, he bequeathed so then, it to yeah, you. that's right. Yeah. So then I would play a lot and I would play with friends, but we just were playing a, around houses, inside houses and stuff like that. Oh, it good. was really only when you know, the doors kind of were kicked. I, I was in England in 77. And, you know, like that was at the, at the time when like the clash, Elvis Costello, yeah. the jam, all, all these people were emerging and England too felt like it was on fire with something new. And I got back to Brisbane, you know, my sleepy old town and my sleepy old town was suddenly lit with all these rooms open and you could start a band. So I started a band. I just called up an old uh, drug buddy from school, uh, <laughs> an old dealer friend. You know, it's always good to have a dealer in the yeah. band. Yeah. Uh, played bass. My girlfriend at the time had met this guy on a train. She was catching a train to Sydney and she met this guy, she introduced me to him and, um, he, he, I'm still in touch with him. And he, he said that the first time that I met him, we were at a party and I picked up live by five, uh, the, the Rolling Stones album anyway, yeah, yeah. you know? And I said, you know, I'm going to start a band. that's going to sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> which is just so ridiculous, uh, just the audacity of youth. Uh, yeah. And anyway, you know, and I said to him, uh, cause he had, we were talking about music and he said he played guitar. He had a Gibson, uh, he had a, an SG. So I had a, uh, Fender, uh, Stratocaster and I played through a Fender twin. So, you know, a Strat and an SG, that's a pretty good combination. Oh, yeah. And then, and the bass player was the dealer. So we had the bass player and then we turned up, uh, got together and somebody said they knew a drummer and this guy came along and I said to him, the first thing that I said to this guy was, do you know the beat to be my baby, which I love, Hal Blaine, you know? Oh yeah. And it goes, dum, 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 dum. you know, so anyway, yeah, yeah. he played that and I thought, okay, you're in. And so, you know, we had the band. <laughs> That's all it took, man. <laughs> when I think about it, it's absolutely absurd, but it worked. But, no. And that band lasted. That you know, look, you know, I can't k- kind of you know disguise um, this part of our history because it's like it's it's out there, and it's on the record. But you know, like this king tide of heroin hit. Um, Brisbane and everybody got swept up in it, particularly everyone in bands. So then it became a matter of like, which way do we go? Do we go deeper into habits or do we keep the band going? And, you know, a couple of people disappeared into habits. And um, so that was the end of the band. So we that band, that incarnation of the band. I, I started the band. I named it after, I, I really love, uh, Billy Wilder. I really, I really like that, that phenomenal mix in his movies of, you know, cynicism and, and romance almost. You know what? And I I can uh, tell you your lyrics yeah, well, he had this kind of. He had he, had a, <laughs> he had, the movie The Apartment was his, um, okay. and you know, really loved that. But I also loved it because it seemed to me to be emblematic of you know New York City. So oh, anyway, I started okay. the band, and I had that name, The Apartments. Nobody else understood what I was on about when I talk about <laughs> Billy Wilder. No one in the band, you know, they were, they were they were not like uh, movie people. Okay, uh, to the extent that. Anyway, and um, anyway, yeah, so it's always been the apartments, and I've always been the songwriter. Wow, Um, yeah,
0: so from 78 till today, (laughs) (laughs) your only band has been the apartments. Well, technically, yeah, man, that's so all right. So you ended up recording an EP around that, yeah, that's
2: right, yeah, 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 yeah. We recorded an EP, and there was a band in town uh called the go-betweens and they had been inspired as well by the saints and they decided if the saints could record something put it out and then send it out to you know magazines around the world well the go-betweens could do that so they started their own label and when I was, I was friends with them. In fact, I played with them for about uh, like four weeks or something like that. Uh, they got an offer from Berserkly Records. Okay. Berserkly Records at that time had Jonathan Richman um, oh, and yeah. the go-betweens wow. were very much like a Jonathan Richman and the Modern Lovers band. Same sensibility, same beautiful primitive sound So, yeah, they had a label and they said, well, you know, if you're recording anything, you know, let's put it out on the Able label. So, yeah, we record. Oh, oh, the band had broken up by the time we released that EP. but
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because recorded EP, break up and then release it.
2: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, Well, look, we recorded it. The the funny thing was we recorded it in April, but, you know, and the band broke up in October, but it took such a long time. You know, pressing and all that artwork and all that sort of stuff, it just seemed to take forever. Um, The pressing, there was something like they lost the pressing or I can't remember the This is... This is, you know, last century. But, yeah. yeah, so it took a long time. But the band had broken up and I'd left town um, oh my by God. the time that it came out. So, you know, as far as, a, as you know, good career moves goes, uh, <laughs> it was poss- possible not, not, not the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you moved, You went to New York at that point, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what yeah, kind of yeah, reception
0: yeah. was the EP getting?
2: And- Look, it was good, but by that stage I had felt like – I also like it was a bit kind of disillusioning for me with the, 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 band kind of disappearing into, you know, heroin. Yeah. And, you know, and I knew that world inside out and I know I knew how sometimes it can end. And so I didn't particularly want to dive back into the, that, so um yeah i got I just got an op a uh, friend Robert vickers um had a had a was playing in a band in New York, okay, and they lost their guitarist, um, and he sent me a postcard saying, uh, you know we're looking for a guitarist. Do you want to come and play in the band?" And I'm just thinking, well, who wouldn't want yeah. come and play in, <laughs> come and play in a band in New York right." <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I did that. I moved there and then I stayed there for a couple of years and, uh, you know, I had, had, oh, the band didn't last by the way, you know, like I think, I think the band was, the band was, what he hadn't neglected to mention to me was that the guitarist who'd left was the songwriter Uh. (laughs) and they were a very, they were a very sunny, upbeat pop band and while you know there's an aspect of what i do which is you know melodic and poppy the sunny side of it was just uh, yeah, i couldn't do that okay. so i was not going to be the replacement song they they had a song i think it was called growing up american and the lyrics were things like ice cream and lemonade in the sun you know oh, it was boy. really relentlessly upbeat <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i felt like i wasn't a perfect fit for that kind of sensibility um
0: hey well if if you know if you're like the the movie the apartment and uh yeah Yeah. yeah, i can see that that that's uh not a you're not meshing very really well
2: yeah so yeah and so then i was in new york for a couple of years and then there was a band called laughing clowns
0: which sounds uh, which was (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, yeah, i, I gotta <laughs> tell you i i know i know a lot of people who would not see that band just based on the name
2: <laughs> yeah i know i know i have a friend i have a friend who has a terror of, of clowns so yeah i, yeah, I, I can understand
0: i've got a couple too and I, and I have a lot of fun with them but
2: yeah yeah uh but anyway you know um the singer in that band they had moved to england and you know, they were, I just remember when they, they released their first EP and back then there was kind of like a power that was exerted by some of the magazines and there was a magazine called NME, which, is still, which still exists today, but yeah. the power is gone. Yeah. And, you know, um, the, the review of their first EP in NME said there is, you know, with no doubt that on the basis of this EP, this is one of the greatest rock and roll bands in the world. You know, so I was completely over the top hyped thing. And it was because it was in look in some, I really loved that EP. It was, it's a really powerful piece of work. It's just called laughing clowns. But anyway, you know, they'd moved to England and they'd broken up. And, um, the, the, um, so I joined them for a year and, you know, we did some, and European tour. Then we're going to do a tour of Australia. While we're in Australia, we're going to record an album. Then we're going to do another European tour. This is 12 months. That sounded pretty pretty good to me, you know, like um, English, European tour, Australian tour. I could see my parents who I, and I hadn't seen them for, you know, a few years, oh, yeah. quite a few years. So, you know, stuff yeah. like that. You know, we had some the European tour, tours were really good you know european tours uh in in the 80s were it was a it was a there was a big circuit there you could just you could just jump in a car and you could be traveling 40 or 50 miles and then you had another place to play it was not like like in australia you had to drive 700 miles for the next show
0: holy crap
2: (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, um, we'd play, uh, we, we did shows in Berlin and, you know, it was kind of like this, the circuit, like we, uh, we, the show in Berlin I remember we did with Sonic Youth and then we oh, we wow. go from Berlin, we play in Prague the next day. It was that kind of thing. Just, it was, you, you could play a lot in, in Europe and lots of bands at that time were playing all the time in Europe, uh, like the Bad scene uh, yeah. who were also Australian, they were there. They were playing something like you know two hundred and fifty shows a year. Oh my God! From, I think yeah, and I, and they kept that. They they've kept that up. I mean, you know, they kept that up right through the nineties, right through the. Early 2000s, they just relentlessly worked their asses off because in the 80s, the only ways that bands could survive were to be radio, uh, have success with radio. And that was hard to get. And if you didn't have success with radio, you toured and you toured relentlessly. And um, it's, you know, in some ways, it's a bit like that now, you know, um, you just have to tour, tour and tour you know i'm an older guy now so it doesn't it's not like that's my world all the time right. now i've i've done a lot of other things um but you know i think if i were 25 now and in the middle of a pandemic which ruled out touring europe i would be really struggling you know because yeah. essentially one it's it's how you make some money to survive and two spiritually it's like, like this is what i do night after night i go out and i play and i meet people and yep. it's a it's a social thing it's a financial thing it's a spiritual thing and all of that just disappeared you know if i were like i don't know phoebe bridges you know like she released yeah. her album 3 years ago and she just toured 200 to 250 shows a year ever since then, you know, and suddenly, no, you can't do that. Yep. And you've released a new album. Uh, you'll, you're just going to have to saturate social media now. Yeah, to, exactly. To have any, you've gotta, You've just got to do, be doing live streams, YouTube clips, you know, there's a thousand other things that you would normally not have to do too much of because you're out there and people are seeing you all the time. And, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I think, my, you know, my my feeling about the whole pandemic thing for you know young people uh, in bands is, you know, I, I it's it's tough for them. You know, yes. it's tough in a hundred different ways. It's not just. Yeah. Okay. We don't have an income anymore. It's like their lives have disappeared because you know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be on tour. Your life is essentially the people with whom you're on tour. You know, because you've left people behind. You know, you you're not not exactly having flourishing relationships (laughs) when you're away from your uh, wherever you call home. You know, when you're away from that for two hundred and fifty nights a year. You know. Yeah.
0: Exactly.
2: All that disappears. And yeah. So I think, yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So
0: after touring with laughing clowns, what brought you back to Mm. Australia?
2: Mm. To reform? I didn't actually, I didn't actually, well, what happened was I finished with laughing clowns. I still had my apartment in New York um, because, you know, back then, seriously, you know, people can't imagine this, but you know, I had a two-room apartment, which I shared with, uh, you know, I had a um, roommate to share the apartment with, but it was a, you know, two-bedroom, five-room apartment, Avenue C, East 11th Street, Lower East Side, $300 a month. Wow. You know, like, uh, this, and you could do that because, like, I was working as a, I did a lot of, you know, um, nutty uh, kind of jobs, you know, despite the fact that. You know, I have the physique of the budgerigar, gar, um, you know, or a supermodel budgerigar, gar, perhaps very skinny. Um, you know, I uh, I was a furniture removalist for a while. You know, I, I worked in an ice cream parlour. I was a busboy. You know, oh, tried to sell books over the phone for Time Life. Just all these, just you oh, know, wow. rubbish.
0: Man, that's not you know, when are
2: you? No, no, all these things have disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Well I think you could discuss tables. I think, you know, like uh but I'm not sure that, you know, yeah, you're anyway, you know. So but I could make I could make in tips on a Saturday night, I could make rent for the month wow. in tips on a Saturday night. So, you know, that world is gone. Tell you know, me. you can be you can just be you, I think you have to be an affluent person or come from an affluent family. And I certainly didn't come from any kind of affluence. Um, and I was just working to, to live in New York.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
2: But anyway, what happened was, you know, like Ed, uh, who uh, was the main guy in Laughing Clowns, you know, he had said to me, you know, come on board for a year. And I said to him at the end of that time, and he, he recognized, look, I had my own songs. I had my own things that I wanted to do. And he recognized that. So, you know, at the end of the 12 months, I said, look, I'm, I'm going to go off and, you know, uh, do something else. And I s- restarted while I was in Australia, with The I finished the commitments with the clowns, the tours and the Australian tour, we recorded an album. And then uh, I started another apartments two guitars bass and drums apartments and i recorded again i recorded a couple of tracks and rough trade and i released them as a single on an australian label and then rough trade which was an english label it had the smiths at the time yes. they got in touch and said oh look we want to release that single which was called all you wanted That single in Europe, and I said, Well, that's great, but look, I've actually got an album's worth of stuff. Wouldn't you rather do an album? They said, Well, you know, like we have to hear it. So (laughs) I I sent them the demos of the album, and then they got back and said, Um yeah, uh, we're going to sign you, um, we'll fly you over, wow. we'll put you on wages, uh, we've, we'll pay for your accommodation, we'll record the album and you'll you'll do it like if you, if you can get here by July, we'll record the week after you get here. Wow. You'll go on tour with everything but the girl in September, October to support the release of the album, blah, 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 blah. So it was wow. all like it was just happening all of a sudden. And, and that was, you know, I get, look, you know, being in a band, it's a casino life, you know, like you just have, you can, you can be awesome. I'm not saying I'm in this class, but you can be very talented and nothing can happen to you.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Or you can, you can have something, something that people want and then, you know, you get a break. And so I got a break by, by in, in that way, but it's a, it's a roll of the dice. You know, um, I, I, I recognize now and I definitely recognized it once I was in on rough trade. Cause I remember going into the, the personal assistant of Jeff Travis, who was the guy that ran the label took me into their offices and he goes, Peter, 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 you have to look at this. And he showed me a cupboard. He opened a cupboard door and he was, covered then in a cascade of cassettes that just came pouring out of the cupboard. Oh, and he said, we get almost 500 of these a week. Um, he said, wow. you, you know, you're, so we, you know, we signed you when we got your cassette and I, I thought, well, you know, this is pretty, <laughs> wow <laughs> that was a luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So then I released that, and you know, and then I was established in Europe, and so then I stayed in England for you know five years.
0: And then you also ended up having a song on a John Hughes movie soundtrack, which was
2: yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, it was called The Shyest Time, and the movie was called Some Kind of Wonderful. What had happened was uh, he had a music supervisor and he would go around to all the labels and say, what have you got? You know, that's just been recorded. What's fresh and new and no one has heard. So that he was getting songs for the movies. And I had this track called um, the shyest time and, and he Um, heard that. And he said, that has to be in the movie. I think we'll make it the single for the movie. So it was, you know, it was quite, it was quite exciting because Rough Trade was in trouble. At that that stage, Rough Trade was in trouble because they had a, the the Smiths wanted to leave and so they were trying to keep the Smiths and the Smiths were willing to stay, but it was going to cost Rough Trade, you know, the label basically to keep them. Uh, And also Rough Trade had so many acts that once you'd recorded an album, well, then you go to the back of the queue and yes, you can record another album, but it'll be like two years time. You know, the cycle was sort of like, we'll let you record a new album every two years that they'll pay for and, you know, promote and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, you know, this seemed like uh, a good, good thing. And, you know, the, Tarquin, um, who was the guy, Tarquin Gotch, you know, it's such a ridiculously English name, you know, from Tarquin Gotch. Uh, he, um, heard this track, the shyest time. And, and, you know, I had written this song. Well, I had some, I had this thing lying around like a a kind of feel, um, lying around, but we'd, gone to Amsterdam, I think. I think I was with the band. Maybe I wasn't with the band. Anyway, I was was on the ferry to Amsterdam and it was like this... This wild night, and the the every everyone is throwing up on the ferry. It's like completely insane, and it's dark, high seas, freezing cold, heading to to Amsterdam. You know, in in December, and oh, God. you know, I just went tried to find somewhere where people weren't throwing up, and um, there was this room that had some magazines in it, and I read a time there was a Time magazine there, and I was reading about you know. Divorce in the US, something like that. And this woman said, you know, I got divorced and, you know, I just felt like it was the shyest time in my life. I lost all my confidence. And I thought, oh, that's such a great image, such wow. a great line. So I'm, I'm writing this thing about... Divorce and Tarquin heard the song and he goes, "Oh, the shyest time! Oh, that's that's so much like the teenage condition. This is perfect for us. Perfect, you know." Oh, (laughs) wow! Man, (laughs) so you know so on the basis of this fabulous misunderstanding there it was in the John Hughes movie soundtrack <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, to, to this to this day I'm sure he doesn't know that you know what he what he was promoting but anyway there I don't go. think he would listen
0: to this podcast so
2: <laughs> I think he's was, he was still yeah. safe I don't yeah. know, okay cool
0: I'm assuming he's still alive yeah. I don't even know I, I haven't
2: yeah look I don't know I don't know it's <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the 80s which it might as well be the 1880s, oh, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah, at this point, no. <laughs> so then you started writing uh some more you, you had three albums come out pr- in pretty quick succession yeah. at that point.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh after Rough Trade folded and I just thought I'd run England into the ground um <laughs> I'd run run a relationship there into the ground. So, and I hadn't seen my parents for, you know, almost a decade because I'd been out of the country for all that time. So I came back to Australia and then I just, and you know, met some people and, and I, you know, I said, I wanted to do some recording. So I recorded an album called drift and that was picked up by a French label, uh, licensed by a French label. And then they also licensed the Evening Visits, which was the Rough Trade album um, as well, and released that. So then I'm back in Europe again, you know, like sudden, like this was the thing about being on Rough Trade. You know, you release an album on Rough Trade and suddenly you're getting fan mail from – Italy, Stockholm, Portugal, all over over Europe, Germany, all over Europe, you know, know, suddenly you're distributed and available in, in Europe. Like that album was never released in Australia. That, that really visits. I didn't really have a following in Australia because I'd been away for, Ah, you know, like the way that this normally works is that like Australian bands that left the country, the exile bands? That that was me. The The Apartments, uh, the Birthday Party, or who became the Bad Seeds, the The Triffids, the Go-Betweens. What those bands used to do was release their albums in Australia, local releases, and tour uh, over the summer. So they would do three month three months of touring. So they kept up with their audiences like they're there once a year okay you'll see them once a year every year throughout the 80s sort of thing and so i didn't do any of that so i don't really have that connection with australians that i do with europeans and particularly
0: um, the french from what i've been
2: yeah 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 out. yeah No, the, yeah yeah no the french have been very yeah uh so- loving towards
0: the- <laughs> <laughs> well i was listening to the the albums and Drift is is a great album. I've really really been getting into that. The albums from from Drift onwards sound definitely sound a l- lot more uh lush, a little harder, yeah. more mature. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean particularly uh, I'm particularly fond of uh, the Goodbye Train, Nothing Stops It and
2: Oh yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: This deep, lush production—is it a yeah. hard to tour when you've got you know horns and all on the album? Are you having to rethink how you play these songs live?
2: Yeah, look, sometimes, uh, sometimes, look, some of those European tours, we've been able to pull people in, you know, like a horn player, and we've also, you know, a piano player, which is good. So that oh. kind of really then you then you really have something and. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, any band that I put together can actually play anything really like the bands, the people that I play with, they can, they can just do, do anything. And sometimes I'll strip it down to a three piece, uh, like Natasha is this, um, woman I've been playing with for the past 10 years or so. I did a duet with her called black ribbons. Yes. Um, yeah. she, uh, she's a beautiful singer, beautiful, in a thousand ways. She can play, you know, piano, she can play melodica, uh, she sings, she can play bass. Uh, so, you know, we kind of are able to, to do things in a way that people recognize the hooks, for instance, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's a track on, uh, and she and another. There's another French guy with whom I play this. And you know, like the advantage for me is that those people are there in Europe. You know, we don't all have to fly over from from Australia, right. which is you know, a 27, 27 hour flight, and oh, you know, it's three thousand dollars, and you know, it's oh, all that sort of stuff. God. So they're there, and um. And, you know, I can rehearse with them in Europe and and then go out on the road. We're there. We're ready to to go. So, yeah, another guy called Antoine uh, who plays guitar. He lives two hours southwest of Paris. Natasha lives in Lille up there on the Belgian border. So we oh, just, okay. you know, get together and, yeah, and they're great. But, you know, I'll, I'll say to them because, the, you know, I, I met them they were actually fans of the apartments and that's how I first met them. And I didn't know that they were musicians when I first met them, but as it turns out, like they're both phenomenal, (laughs) phenomenal (laughs) musicians. They're far better musicians than I am. Oh wow. And, um, and, um, yeah. And so like, I, I could say, you know, like, well, why don't we do a three piece thing? And they say, Oh yeah, that's great. And I said, do you want to work on, do you want to come up with a set list? And they approach it as fans, you know, what songs would people like to hear? And like, that's awesome. Uh, the last tour I did with them, I, I just let them, you know, do the set list. And, um, so, and I said, are you sure about this? You sh- you think people want to hear that song? And they said, no, people definitely want to hear that song. And they were, consistently right and i was consistently wrong oh. so you know it's quite you know it's quite an advantage having people who almost know what it feels like to be a fan rather than you know i'm from the inside i've got no a yeah. really no perspective on it
0: well that is a really refreshing way to go about a set list and, and touring that that you don't hear mm. a whole lot of artists doing that
2: yeah 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 well um yeah and you know all the eras get represented um so um yeah yeah we just pull the songs in from you know um um from yeah across the years basically
0: okay <laughs> well and the, i mean and there's no easy way to go into this the next phase of your life um <coughs> your your son was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease and you, you That's every, right. everything yeah. was put on hold at that point
2: Yeah yeah I had just recorded an album called Apart and um the record company um uh, that was with an Australian label that went out of business um I okay. th- anyway they said to me you know we've got to get out there and you've got to do live shows and we have got to get and I, and I I had just, you know, found out about my son's condition and I said I'm not moving. I'm not going to do a thing. You know, I've got to get on top of this. This yeah. is this is what matters. And you know, um it was just like there's a larger class of things that have got to be dealt with here. You know, I don't really give a fuck about my career or whatever, you know, it was just something else that was on my mind. And so, um, so I just stopped and then, you know, uh, and then, you know, um, three years after that, my son died and, and uh, I was never, and I appreciate that every person will deal with these situations in their own way. And, yep. you know, I don't, I don't have any answers about what is the way to deal with these things. But my feeling was absolutely, my feeling was I have no right to any kind of uh, life you know, because my son, I can understand that lost every chance he had. And I had had a thousand chances at happiness that he never got. So I just never felt right about, uh, just jumping back into, you know, the life that I was leading before he got sick. I just never felt it was, for me, it was not the right thing to do. And I understand why people would do that, why they would just go back into the normal life, because yeah. you have to do whatever you can do to save yourself. Yeah. But I never felt like that was right <clears throat> That was right for me. So I just... And then I just stopped, you know, I wasn't doing, I just, I wasn't, I never stopped writing songs. I was always writing songs, but I just, I just never thought I would ever do anything again. And then, you know, about 10 years later, I, you know, I started and this guy got in touch with me from France and he said, look, I, I know what's happened in your life, but there are a lot of people would like to see you play. And, um, I said, look, I don't know that I I can't do this. You know, I don't think I can do this. Anyway, he talked me into it, which was a good thing because I had to sort of push against myself, fight against, you know, that was the biggest argument I had. It was with myself to do it. And, and it was a, it was a beautiful setup. I mean, you know, this is like someone saying, come to France, these shows will sell out. I can promise you that you'll have a place to stay uh, and had a place to stay in Paris for free. You know, just, it was just like a million things that said yes. And the, the one thing that was saying no was me, but anyway, I did it and it was kind of like, I've done this now. And I, and the funny thing was that during that time I met a woman who's, who had been out with her brother, her mother, uh, had been a concert pianist and she was out with her brother when she was eight and he was 10 and he had been, ki- they were on their bicycles. He had been killed by a truck. And she said wow. to me that her mother never played the piano again. And, and she said she just couldn't face the emotion that came, came with playing. And, you know, and I said, well, I understand that. And, and she said to me, but have you ever thought would your son Riley was my son's name would Riley have wanted you to be unhappy and not, not doing what, it is, you do, because this is who you are. You are a songwriter, you are a musician. And she said, would he want you to be unhappy? And so it was a kind of a a breakthrough for for me, that way of thinking suddenly, suddenly I felt like I can do, I don't don't betray him um, by doing this. Right, yeah. So, and then, you know, one thing led to another, and then I had a batch of songs, um, that that I'd had some prowling around in my head, but I'd never played them to anyone. Okay. And I did a tour in 2012 and I took over some people from Australia. I took over Amanda Brown who played and played in the Gobi Twins And I took a guy called Wayne Connolly, who was a producer here, but he's also a very good musician. And while we were on tour, he said, to me, you know, he was talking about his production. He said, how do you normally record? And I said, well, normally I I like to just do things in one or two takes. And he goes, and if you don't get it in one or two takes, and I said, well, then it's gone. I do, you know, I move on to something else. And he goes, have you ever thought about doing it another way? And I said, no. And he said, well, you know, I work with a lot of people who, who very happily do take after take after take until they have the take. And I said, I don't think that would work for me. But anyway, I, you know, we came back from that tour and I started thinking, then I started thinking, I wonder if I can, if I could ever do anything with I, with these songs, should I do anything with these songs? And I didn't really have any perspective on it. So I got him over to my place and this is like 2014, I think it was, I got him over to my place and I said, look, I'm going to play these songs. I've never played them to anyone before. Oh, wow. I don't even know if they should be released, but, you know, you've produced 200, 300 albums, you know, um, so I'm asking you and I just played them to him. I didn't say anything to him. I just played them one after another. And, and, you know, I said, that's it. That's what it's going to be like. That's what, that's what the songs are like. They're all like, that's, that's them. And he said, um, well, how is October 14 for you? And he just had a date, you know, he wanted to start recording. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I recorded an album and it was called No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal. And I did it with Wayne uh, Connolly as the producer. And so that was that batch of songs. And, and that was kind of, it's- uh, I, I'd had those songs in my head for some of them I'd written ro- ro- like, back in 1999 when my son died. So, you know, I'd had them that length of time and I'd never played them to anyone. I certainly never played them to my wife because I didn't want to subject her yeah, to that. And, um, he, so he was the first person who heard them and, 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 and I just thought as an, you know, like as an objective kind of person, that's why I was doing it. I was, I was taking it to somebody who, and I would have been very happy for him to say, you know, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is something you should be, you should do. But he said, he just said, it was just that thing. It was just like click at yeah. the end of it. He said, how does October 14 work for you? Because wow. you know, he had a studio and yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and I did everything his way because I was also trying to break out of my, you know, my patterns, you know, they say, like get out of your comfort zone. And my comfort zone was if I do a song in one or two takes, that's, that's good. That's when I feel like the song is done. Okay. And if the, if it's not okay. there and he's, his he's far more like, no, let's do that vocal again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. And, you know, I found it really quite draining and um, I'll, I'll bet it's confronting.
0: Yeah. If that's not your, your normal way of doing things, I can,
2: yeah, yeah but you know I did think I felt it was worth it and also like he is a great producer so I could trust him and I was absolutely willing to surrender to the producer sort of thing yeah. so the producer says no that wasn't good enough do it again that sort of thing which I've never really done before in my life. Um, it sounds like so that's what
0: you needed at that time though.
2: At that time I think that I think at that time that was the way to it was the way to get the songs down and it was the way it was just the way to deal with that particular batch of material as well so um yeah the songs are incredible of course oh thank you thank you Um, particularly Yeah, yeah
0: for me particularly black ribbons and and 21 were just incredibly moving
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, black, black ribbons, um, I did with Natasha and you know, that was, that was interesting because like she has the second part Yes. and he said, I need to know what this song is about before I can sing it. You know, it's a very French sort of thing. I thought, well, this is great. You're French. You will get this completely. And I said, okay, this is the end of the affair. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, but, you know, like normally the affair ends and the people just destroy every memory. If the affair ends in the wrong way, they just destroy any memory that they have of one another. And it's it's not good. And I said, but these people, they realize they've run it into the ground and they both accept that. So they, they almost gift the past, the thing that they had that mattered so much, they almost wrap it up. In black ribbons and give it to the other person. You know what we had? It was good once, but we ran it into the ground, but it was good when we had it. And it was kind of that gift of this is what we had, and it was good. We don't have it anymore, but it was good what we had. I I I in a rain. And it was sort of like, and for me, that was a breakthrough in 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 writing because normally I, I I I have tended to write whenever I've written about you know that kind of thing. They have tended to be. Very destructive. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I think that's a natural tendency. I don't. I don't. I think that perspective is very unique. I know. I know. It, it, yeah. I know in, in my experience, when that happens, yeah, I, I, I kind of get destructive.
2: Yeah, believe me, it was an intellectual exercise. It was not. It was not based on any any prior experience.
0: <laughs> so the new album, in yeah. and out of the light, you actually yeah. took yet a. Another different approach to recording that.
2: Yeah, I did. I did. And, you know, I've, again, it was just a matter of, I think, luck. Because I had I had all this uh, you know I pl- I'd planned this with the band, like Nick my drummer, he lives in England, because this is the European band, I play with a European band right Nick my uh, right. Elliot, the bass player, he lives in Sydney here, so that's good, yes. but Nick the drummer lives in London, Natasha lives near the Belgian border in Lille. Antoine, the guitarist lives in two hours southwest of Paris. So he has a studio Antoine has a studio so I said when do you think we could we get into your studio would would you like to produce the next album and I think he felt that was quite a big deal because like he's maybe late thirties now, I think. Anyway, you know, he's been a fan of the apartment since he was 17. So Uh, I think, uh, I I think he thought it was quite a big deal and quite a, quite a, quite a big responsibility. And, you know, he said, yes, I would love, you know, it would be great to do it anyway. You know, they all worked out that they could do something in September. Everyone could, we could all be there in September and I said, I'll be there whenever you guys can be there. So I, okay, we planned that. And then they said, but we need to hear the songs. And, and I said, okay, okay. Um, sure. So I had some songs lying around, but my initial plan was to just go over there with them, you know, play them things and we could just sort of, you know, see how it goes and, you know, get, get the album done in that way. But they wanted to hear the songs. So, they asked me to do some demos. So I said, okay, I'll do some demos anyway. So I did some demos. I demoed two songs. One was one was butterfly kiss. And the other one was, I think pocket full of sunshine. Anyway, you know, I did, I did those demos and I actually loved the process of doing the demos because, you know, it's a real, it was a real discovery. Like I didn't know, you know, I, I went in there thinking, Oh, is this a song? I'm not sure if this is a song. You know, I was kind of, I had, you know, I had a, I had a sense that it was a song, but you know, I discovered it all while I was in, in there. And so I sent them off and, you know, Natasha, Natasha is a travel, she writes travel books and she was in, she was in, she was, I think she was in Lisbon and she was walking. She, she got the track, like she got Butterfly Kiss late at night When she was walking by the river there And she said, I played this song ten times Walking up and down beside the river life, the Butterfly kiss So many troubles That nothing could fit I love this song, you know, we have to have to record this, you know, as soon as we can, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it was kind of, kind of good, but Because I'd recorded them in that way, I just thought, I really don't want to do any more demos. You know, I don't want to go in because that's how I felt about like with with no song, no spell, no madrigal. What I was what I felt like I was doing was I was trying to reach back into the past of, you know, where I, you know, how I felt about the songs and and, and stuff like that almost like and i'd carried around the horn lines and the piano lines and and the hooks i'd carried them around my head for such a long time it's almost like I'm, I'm i'm wanting to do something that i've done before whereas what what i tried to do with this album was try to do something fresh for the first time it was almost like i'm going to discover the song as i record it oh awesome which is almost which is really uh, you know like how people did things in the sixties. I'm sure the Beatles didn't go, Oh, I've got this song and I have finished it. And now we're just going to, uh, I want everyone to play their parts They were in the studio and they're trying things out, yeah, you know, yeah. and they tried different beats and Ringo tr- tries a different drum beat and everything is coming alive in that moment, which is why the records have that freshness. Anyway, that's what I wanted to try. So then um, I thought, okay, well, maybe I could do something here and they could do their parts there just so that I retain that freshness. Ah, oh, okay. And, and it was almost like I'm not demoing anymore. I'm recording and they can still do their parts, but I'm not going to be in the same room with them. You know, they'll, they'll just, you know, okay. it'll, it'll come that so, so, you, so it was almost like COVID era recording, but we weren't in the COVID era at that at that point. <laughs> so you're um, you're so fresh. And yeah. then I found a producer who lived like uh, his studio was ten minutes away from my place. a Small, inexpensive studio. Oh wow! And he was a lovely guy. Great ear, ferocious powers of concentration. Because I don't have that, <laughs> um, so I need someone like that. And. Anyway, you know, so I thought, okay, I'll I'll approach this guy. So I I went to him and I said, look, I'm not going to come in with finished songs. I'm going to come in with things. I'm going to play them to you and we'll just see how it goes. Is that something you've ever done and would you do it? Are you willing to do it? And he said, I'm really open to this idea. You know, this sounds, I'm interested. And so we were in. So then the first day he'd heard the two demos and he said, we have to record those songs, which was great. And then I walked in and, you know, as I say, it's a very small room. And I'm in the control room where there's a couch and I just had my acoustic guitar and I'm playing my acoustic guitar in there. And I thought, you know, this, this, is, this feels good just sitting here playing my acoustic guitar. And the first song that I played for him was I Don't Give a Fuck About You Anymore. Ah. And, and I said, look, I, you know, I think, this is, I think there's something here in, in this. And I finished that. I played it to him And I said This is what I'd like to start with If you think there's something there And he goes Oh Come on Absolutely That's a song Let's go And so Again It was like He said Do you want me to set the mics up in here You seem pretty comfortable in here So we're actually in the In the control room And he just Put the mics up in front of the thing And I laid down the track
1: It's a mystery to me now But I
2: have a sore in you. I believed in your talent. I believed in your luck. But it's such a long time since I gave a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about you anymore. You know, and and so it began. And so then there would be things like... um, I remember when the song uh, where you used to be that started out with, I said, I'm just playing this. I'll I'll play this to you. It's just like a bed of chords and I'm just going to put it down because I have no idea how to start or finish it or structure it or anything like that. But I do know that it has parts and some are more dramatic and some are held back and you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, great. And then, you know, I started playing that and and he said, I could listen to this all day. You know, this is just wow. like hypnotic. And I thought, Oh, that's a good sign. You know? <laughs> well, but that's... I couldn't get back into this. You know, I couldn't get back into his studio for another week or so. So I listened oh, to wow. that stuff. And while I was away, I was able to go, okay, kill that, cut that, pull that there, you know, and you can do all that, you right. know, because yeah. it's you're recording digital. You can do that. And also like, I'm just, for the first time in my entire life, I have a room at the back of the house, which is to to myself. I have it to myself. No one's going to really interrupt me in the way that I'm normally interrupted, like
0: my dog, uh, because I have. Kids. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I've got kids and a dog. You know, they they do love to interrupt. Yeah, um, but this room is at the back of the house, so I would put this. I put that tape on, uh, uh, rather the uh, the recording of that that I had for where you used to be. And then I thought, great. And then I had this thing, you know, I know where this goes now, you know, and I had, and I'm just pacing up and down and I go, there's a hole in the world where you used to be. And I'm just singing that. Yeah. And then I had it, you know, like, um, yeah. So it was, it was quite, for me, it was quite a good process because it was all like new and, yeah it was like just this lovely process of discovery
0: well, where you used to be is one of my favorite tracks, yeah, I love the mention of Patsy Klein in in that song
2: oh thank you yeah I, yeah well look yeah that I mean that's actually based on uh, we were somewhere, and it was like the end of the ski season or something like that, and like it's just everything was completely deserted, and then they had these just cheap tenoy speakers outside uh where everyone was moving in to get out of the 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 blizzard had picked up and everyone's sort of moving down to this thing but they've got these cheap tenoy speakers outside and I heard I go to pieces and it was like this is perfect like this is just the perfect atmosphere to to hear this and it just felt like like is the end of her world, you know. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. It was just yeah, well, I, and I love that. Song.
0: And yeah. I, I actually live in Winchester, Virginia, which is her hometown. So
2: okay. Ah, okay, yeah, so yeah. Anything
0: yeah. with her just yeah. kind of has an automatic soft spot in my heart. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, you know, like that's one of those songs. You just think, you know, there's some songs that find a way to make sadness, bearable yeah. and beautiful. And that's one of those songs, but it was just, you know, the whole thing about it and, you know, in the evening, you know, twilight cause twilight to me, like, and, you know, obviously this is based on, you know, who I am and, you know, how long I've been around, but twilight is just filled with ghosts. And I often, I, I often that just that time of night, I just often think of the people who well, once in my life, and it's almost like the air is the air at twilight is is full of ghosts. And I think of you know, are you listening? You know, like I, you know, because wow. I, I think of you. You know,
0: you know, the album is amazing. I really, really in, have been enjoying it. It's I get a lot of the promo stuff, and you never have any idea what you're going to get when when you get these albums. And it's so awesome to to get one and discover a band that you didn't really know about but now you can go back and find out all this other music that you've made and that's oh, thank you that's what oh, yeah, I've been doing yeah. so it's oh that's great yeah it's
2: yeah. been a wonderful discovery
0: yeah. for me so I I really oh, oh. appreciate the album. Yeah.
2: Oh well, thank you. Yeah. Look, I do have a soft spot for this album. You know, and I know and I know that you know you're kind of expected to hype you your stuff and I'd never feel comfortable doing that, but I do like this album. I have a feel for this album. And I think it's also because like my last album, my last album is almost um it exists it, it wasn't so much music to me. The last album, like No Song, No Spell, No Madrigal, was to me, it was me making a memorial almost to my son, whereas right. this album was more like this is what I do as a musician. I write songs and this, this is a batch of songs. I want you to hear some songs. Right. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to have any backstory for this this it, these are right. just songs so it's just like like a norm like what you would call a normal album whereas I do feel like the last album had came came out in a different context and yeah, um, yeah. yeah. and also you know it was my first time back in the saddle for such a long time you know I hadn't recorded anything for like 17 18 years so yeah. it, was, it was all how to how do i do this i don't even know if i can do this you know so i was a very tentative tentative
0: yeah you had to figure a lot of stuff out i mean i can't imagine the emotions that you that you were going through at that point so
2: yeah yeah and look in many ways you know like because like suddenly people were interested in the apartments you know on the basis of you know having released that album suddenly you know, I, it's almost like I had to remake my life because I'm suddenly doing something that I used to do that I stopped doing and now I'm back doing it again and, like, do I even know how to do this, you know? So it was, it was a very interesting period of new yeah. things. And we, people are you know, liking and, it. Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right, you know? Like, um yeah, it did go go down well um yeah, yeah i mean it's one thing so. if, if
0: you do something and then it just kind of gets ignored and well at least i did it but you know you you, you did it and, mm-hmm. and people are really drawn to it so
2: yeah yeah and you know i was happy to have done it and i didn't even know like you know when i recorded it i just wanted to record it you know that's all i wanted to do i just yeah. want i had no idea i didn't i hadn't spoken to any kind of Labels or anything like that. I, I was just going to record it, and then I then I go, okay, well now, here is an album. Would anyone be interested in this album? And and I found some people that that were interested in it. So you know, it was um, yeah, That's- and it might not necessarily have turned out that way. Um, I do feel like again, you know, it's it's a roulette wheel, and yeah. I was very. Fortunate, you know. So I, you know, I do have this kind of prowling engine of gratitude in the background of my life, and and that is that I'm able to do this. You know, I don't yeah. really take any of it for granted, you know, because it might not be happening. So yeah. exactly.
0: And you know, you you've put together a, an incredibly talented group of people for this album. Like you'd mentioned, you know, Elliot Fish, uh,
2: Natasha, yeah, Antoine, yeah, beautiful. yeah, yeah and, uh, Natasha. Yeah. Chris, and I really love net. it. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. And Chris is, Chris is, Chris is a great uh, Look, the people with whom I played, I, you know, I just love what they do. I really love Natasha's voice. There's yes. just something about yes. her voice, which just gets to me, absolutely completely gets to me. Yeah. And I really love like everything that she's done on the album. I really love. She's just, she, and it's just that there's a quality to her voice. Just, I don't know what the, I don't know, I can't put a name on it, but whatever it is, it's, it's there for me. Yeah. And I really love her her backing vocals and um, yeah, yeah. And Chris, yeah, Chris, I've played with Chris from the next, you know, I've played with Chris since like 1994. He's played on three, four, three Apartments albums before. Oh, wow. and. It's great he's like one of these guys he's obviously an astonishing piano player like if you've ever seen the necks you know like they could you know they just improvise they go out they just do something different every I'm, single night so i'm a
0: little new to is. the necks but i have okay i've heard them and what i've heard is incredible i gosh uh mm. i'd say almost a year ago i had michael gerard on from the swans and mm. Mm. and he's he plays with the necks a lot and he so, like, yeah. if you haven't heard them, you have to listen. So, I started listening to to them at that after that, and it yeah. was oh, it was it was uh, revelatory. It was it was like yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, Chris Chris is just this lovely person who also believes in song. You know, he's not just a piano player. So, I took I had I played the piano, but I played the piano badly, and I don't I played the piano. <laughs> No song, no spell, no madrigal, but just, it was just on the title track. And the funny thing was that I played it just so that we could get the bass and the drums down. Okay. And that, that actually reminds me, I did I went into this album. I did not want to record this album on the sort of concrete floor of bass and drums. I wanted everything to come, arrive into the song on the basis of, the melody and just the atmosphere, you know, ah, that's what I wanted. I didn't want this sort of thing down there that everything then has to fold onto and be constructed on bass okay. and drums. Oh, wow. And I love, you know, I do love bass and drums, you know, obviously, you know, like, yeah, I yeah. love that as, as the ground floor of great rock songs, but I didn't want to do that. And like in 1985, when I was recording the evening visits uh, with Victor van Voot um, as the producer, the best moments for me on that album uh, there was a track called uh, "Mr. Somewhere the other side of town, to get out to get out you take the time you know, when I, when I went in there and we definitely, I was definitely not going to do that with bass and drums. So everything, it just atmosphere and it came, the atmosphere came from the lyric and it came from the melodies and it came from just playing an acoustic guitar. It was things, just little brushstrokes almost made the song. It was not like we got some bass and drums, you know, it's like we had kettle drums in there, you know, do timpanis and, you know, blah, blah, just splashes of things. So that was my approach. That's right. It was far more. And that's how I approached this album. Oh, and that was the other, that was the other thing that I did learn from no song, no spell, no madrigal. I never had the title track you know, ready, you know, like that title track, no song, no spell, no madrigal. I just had that, I'm vamping away on the piano. And I thought, okay, well, I have no idea how this will go, but I'm going to record this with the bass and the drums and I'll sing a vocal while we, while we do it. And I'll play piano, even though I can't play piano. Oh, and then oh, anyway, okay. it came back and he, he, he said, this is not right. Um, the feel." Isn't there from these other people? The feel is there in your piano playing, and I said, "Yeah, but you know, I made a mistake." And he goes, hmm, "Digital, we'll just wipe out the mistake." <laughs> <laughs> Man, thank so, god for So I ended up playing piano. I ended up playing piano on it, but yeah, Chris, I've I've played with Chris before, and yeah, as I say, he as a piano player, he what he he doesn't think about playing the piano. He thinks about playing the song. Wow. And I had, I'd worked with him on a track on A Life Full of Farewells and it's, um, it's, it's a track called She Sings to Forget You. And I remember how we did that. And, you know, Chris recorded his his take and he said to the producer at the time I was out in the control room when he did his take, and he said, I don't, I really don't think I like that. I think I played too much. And Paul said, uh, well, no, it sounds pretty good to us in here. And Chris said, you know, Peter, would you mind coming in here and singing it at the same time that I play it? And I said, yeah, sure thing, you know. And so Paul, the producer, said, well, we won't waste this. You know, maybe there'll be something here in this. So we set up a mic. So you can actually hear, you know, I don't know if you'll play this track in your show, but you can actually hear the door slamming when Paul walk, walks oh. out, <laughs> or the producer walks out, and then Chris starts playing. And then wow. I, we went, we go back and then Chris turns to me at the end of that. And he said, that was better. That's the take for me. That's the take. It was, it oh, was man. because he just didn't want to overplay. Wow. So he's that kind of musician. It's the song first. And when, and as, as it turns out with that song, you know, I went back into the, into the control room and I said, okay, well, we can keep his piano and uh, I'll just do another vocal you know, further down the track. And they said, why would you, you know, oh, and they man. said, that's it done. So we just kept it. It's just, And and that song is just piano and a vocal. So Chris likes to work with me in that way. So he said when we were recording the songs, let's, can you stand next to me and we'll do it. So we did, um, we talked through till dawn. We did that live. Um, oh, wow. That's, that's one take Chris and I one take Jesus. and the fading light is Chris and I again you know next to one another and um, I think some some of the vocal I redid anyway you know but they do No longer exist. For the most part it's light, but that's how he how he works, and that he thrives off the vocal. Yeah. But that's I had nice gone one. over to his place to play because as I say, I do play the piano, but I don't play it well. And <laughs> yeah. no one plays piano like Chris Abrahams, of course. Right. But went over to his place and stood next to him at his piano, and he said, you know we talked through it to Dawn, you know, there's two ways to me that the song suggests, like you've played it in this kind of elegant, spare, sati way, and it works beautifully like that. He said, but do you know, there's so much swing in the song, you know, we could, it, it can also be played like a Nina Simone song with, you know, it's just swinging. And I said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's try that. He played it once, and I said, "That's it. That's how we're going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) No question. You know, we'll do it. You know, if we can do it like uh, Nina Simone, let's do it like Nina Simone." Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have kept you for quite a while, and I'm I'm sure sure you have about a million other things you would rather be doing than than (laughs) talking to me at this point, but.
2: Where, yeah. where oh, look, can, it's very generous of you to have to, to me on anyway. Oh I'm, I'm very grateful.
0: Yeah. I'm very happy to have just discovered you for for myself. I mean you've discovered back in Thank 78. You. But yes. but I I can't really claim that part, but where can people find and order the album and how can they follow you on social media?
2: Well um well there is a there is a website, um, which is the apartments hyphen music.com. That's, that's where we are. Okay. And, and all the ordering, um, details are on, on that. There's also an apartments, uh, Facebook site, uh, which, um, you know, uh, is, is maintained, um, with great sincerity by my wife rather than me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I,
0: I don't blame you
2: yeah, uh, I, but uh, yeah, you know, because you could be on that stuff all day. You I know. know like I, it's just uh, interacting, you know, go uh, down. I go down and, rabbit holes uh, with
0: the little bits of stuff that I've got.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah, but also there is um, like you know, it's on all the streaming services. You know, Apple, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, yeah. and it, also you can buy it through Amazon uh, in the states, um, which is oh, you know, which is pretty. You can get the vinyl if you if people are vinyl Ooh. people yeah
0: that's awesome it's NCD. ncd do you have a, a social media account or social media presence on instagram uh, Twitter, it's, just a,
2: it's just no it's just the face facebook account for the apartment oh, perfect yeah yeah yeah
0: well um yeah thank you so much this has really been a blast i've it's been awesome chatting with you and, and learning about the history of the band and and how
2: you yeah, got well, through look, you know it's a, it's funny, you know, for me talking about this stuff, like particularly, you know, going back through the years, because I'm just thinking about this stuff for the for the for the first time, because I don't obviously I don't, you know, the landscape of regret I'm very comfortable in, so I don't often think about <laughs> what I'm before, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, 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 when I actually have to think about, you know, what was it like in '78, you know, uh-huh. um, yeah, that's it was, a- it's been interesting for me too. That went wrong She poured it into song Whatever it was That went wrong Right your way out of town